All right, folks, we are back. Hello, 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 world. We are back in it again. I am one of your co-hosts, Deontay. I'm Shakima. And we're the Dunlap. The Dunlaps. Yes, indeed. We're back in it again. I love doing this. I'm glad to be with you, baby. We got some important, we got some special guests today. We're gonna get to them in a second. But in our typical, in our new tradition, we'll say new tradition, not typical. It's not typical yet, but in our new tradition that we're setting up. We want to start today with what happened on December 13th in history. And I'll pass it to you, my love. All right. So this is actually one of my favorite parts of the show because I'm always about learning. So anything I do, there's going to be some enlightenment involved. And so today on December 13th in 1893, a Tennessee judge throws an entire multiracial family in jail for living together. And they, back then, you know, they had the laws against uh, miscegenation, sorry. And so um, on December 13th, 1893, Judge Householder of Knoxville, Tennessee, sent an entire family to jail on felony miscegenation charges. Setting a bond at $500, he jailed a Black man named Jim McFarland and his mother, Miss McFarland, a Black man, a Black woman, Henry Whitehead, a Black man, Harriet Smith, I think they had those two names transposed on their website, who newspapers and local authorities reported as a white woman and her children from prior relationships with white men, Lydia Smith and John Smith. At the time of the arrest, the multi-generational family lived in the same household. The court's order left a young child at home without a caregiver. The family spent over a month in jail before facing trial in January. Newspapers at the time noted that Ms. Smith had reported to them with shameless candor that she was actually a black woman while her mother was white. Her father was a light-skinned black man and that she had never pretended to be white. Local news speculated further that since Ms. Smith's children had white fathers, those children living with black men and women might violate the miscegenation codes as written, even should the taint of Negro blood be traced to the remote degree claimed. Local media praised Squire Householder's actions, reporting that he came to the rescue of the community by, quote, starting a war on the crime of miscegenation. The white community in Knoxville universally commended the judge's decision to incarcerate the family. White citizens viewed the case as an opportunity to expand the reach of a state law criminalizing relationships between Black and white people. While Tennessee law classified interracial marriage as a felony, at the time of the family's arrest, no state Supreme Court decision addressed whether interracial cohabitation was a felony or a misdemeanor. The press and the courts hoped to eliminate interracial relationships entirely by terrorizing interracial couples with the threat of extreme punishment. As the Knoxville Sentinel wrote, there is no crime so common in Knoxville as white people living together with black people. And that is in a, you know, we fixed that because it's probably something else in the original. And to make the matter more revolting, it generally happens that it is a white woman living with a black man. These black men mistresses will soon abandon their loathsome relations when they find out that they must go to the penitentiary if they continue to live together. Ultimately, a month after her arrest, Ms. Smith was tried before a jury that determined that she was of colored stock and acquitted her in Henry Whitehead of miscegenation. However, the jury still convicted them both of lewdness for living together, and they were each sentenced to 11 months in the workhouse. The cases against her children were dropped by the prosecutor after the verdict. And that was on December 13th, 
Knoxville, Tennessee in 1893. What say y'all? Wow. That's crazy, but not surprising. Right. Yeah. Crazy, but not surprising. Yeah, crazy, but not surprising. And I think it just goes to show you that, you know, there are families and people of color still dealing with that today. Um, I definitely think that, I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if the education begins at educating people on the importance of interracial marriages or relationships, or if it begins with speaking the truth about the challenges or the unspoken truths that go on in the households of interracial marriages, because I know I've never been interested in anybody that is not, you know, of color. However, I know that is married into the family. And so I think that oftentimes, you know, we fear what we don't understand or we judge what we don't understand or we, you know, pass judgment on certain things. But I'm always I just feel like I've always questioned, you know, how the inside of those homes, you know, really are. And we see things like this in history. And I think it makes us more compassionate you know, when it comes to meeting people that are in interracial marriages and relationships. But I think it also, you know, helps us to become activists in a way for the world browning, so to speak. So it's it's, it's just interesting. The history the thing is, I have... No, go ahead. Go ahead, Shelby. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I just, anytime I feel like the conversations of around race, especially back in the day when it was you know, literally time to be Black um, and to mix the two, that there was just such a distance from what really mattered in situations like this, right, in a relationship which is the person who you are marrying, not the literal color of their skin, and being prosecuted for just loving someone no matter what they looked like. And mostly, especially in these days, it was more so that you know, we couldn't love them. They could love on us and they could treat us and do what they want with our bodies and us as black people. But, you know, we, the barrier was on us. And just, it always just like, I just shake my head so hard, like every time conversation about race in general, but especially when it comes to something that really should just be focused on this person as a whole and what they bring to you in relationships and, you know, them themselves and not what they looked like and what their skin color was and to be prosecuted for something like that. It's just so insane and, and really, really sad to think about. And even though obviously we've come a long way from where you're not going to get prosecuted anymore if you're in an interracial relationship or marriage, it's still in a lot of ways looked down upon in some societies. Um, I remember when I like tried to like date, like even a Latino boy, my dad was like, do they know you black? Like he was like very, you know, and I was like, why would you love to ask that? <laughs> like, but it's a real concern of my, my father was actually concerned, you know, like, do they know that she, she's chocolate? Do they know what she looks like, right? Because him growing up in the fifties, you know, he's like, you know, that was still something ingrained in him. Like, let me make sure my daughter is safe. Do they know? So I don't know. It's just very, very interesting to think about that there was a time that we actually lived where it was like dangerous to like interracially date. Dunlap, were you going to say something? 
No, no, I was um, I was just basically going to elaborate on some of what Milani said, just the and even, you know, even to the to a degree of what, um, you know, you know, Shelby said, you know, it's, it's you know, it's interesting. And I always I always find generalities funny, um, especially when they're using the negative. Um, it's always interesting when people make generalizations about, you know, it's e- it seems like it's easier for people to make negative generalizations. But when it comes down to positive stuff, then it's like, um then it, then it wants to be individualized so it's always interesting um you know when you when you when you hear about these types of topics you know um this because like you know Shebu was saying it's about the person you know but you know based on generalities and you know in uh general biases you know um uh, may- Come back to us, Dunlap. I was going to say, um, it's we just actually have seen something in the news, right? So, like, Congress just protected interracial relationships again. Like, this is it happened in 1893, but this is something that's still up for debate, like, right now. And, um, you know, regardless of, of how we think that things have changed, there's still something going on with a group of people, a segment of of this population, of the American population, that really, really struggles with the idea of just allowing people to love whoever they want to love, right? And so that bill was about um, both interracial relationships and it was about um, same-sex marriages. And that was what, this week, last week? So this is something that's still very relevant in 2022. What I want to do now um, while we wait for Dunlap to rejoin us is shift a little bit and let's do some introductions. So tonight is about Home for the Holidays. This is part two. And so I get to spend some time with some of my favorite people. So I, I just want to take a moment and I'll introduce you and just, you know, say your name. And then at that point, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do currently, and then we'll get started with the conversation. So Shelby, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So hi, everybody. First of all, thank you so much to Mr. and Mrs. Dunlap for having me here on their brilliant show, because they're both brilliant. So thank you so much for inviting me. Um, my name is Shelby Johnson Rodney. I was class of 2012 at Mount Vine High School in AP Lit. Um, and just so glad that I had that experience. And now a whole decade later, um, I work for the federal government. I work in the field of marine science. I am a science communication specialist and marine conservationist. And it's something that I've literally wanted to do since I was like 10. And so to be this age and actually made it happen for myself all the way from the streets of Clayco is just, I'm just really, sometimes I just be like, whoa, you really made that happen. Um, And it's it's educators like Mrs. Dunlap that really pushed us to look beyond our purview of where we lived um, and really believe in ourselves and exposed us to so much. And I think that really, just helped me um, not put myself in a box when I just when I left high school. I left Mount Zion, so yeah, here I am today. So glad to be here. So just so y'all know, I, I like to brag on my babies. Y'all know I do that, right? So like um, a black marine biologist, okay, works for NOAA from Clayton County, okay, from Clay Co. And I'm so, I'm proud. I'm sorry. I'm proud. I am so proud. So I just want to take that moment. We just needed we just needed a moment to just like relish in that because 
Okay. And you better hyphenate that last name. Yes. Mr. Rodney. Yes, yes, yes. He also went to Mount Zion. Um, he was not in the at the time it's a very crew, but he was also um Mount Zion graduated one year ahead of me. So also met my husband in Clayco. Things never know. You know? <laughs> and I've lived in a lot of places. So <laughs> to come all the way back home and find my husband was like, <laughs> Well, I am proud. I am proud. All right. So next we have the Smiths. Milani, Messiah Milani, did you guys want to introduce yourselves? You know what? We're live. So <laughs> could you just act right, please? I'm doing but my best. Hi, everybody. My name is Milani. And it is just an honor to be here today because we just love Ma and we love Papa D. It, you know, it's it's so great that, you know, you all are doing a show together because when we just have had an opportunity to just be around you all together, you're just electricity, you know, just bouncing off each other, bouncing off the people around you. So I'm so excited for the show and just thankful for everybody tuning in, you know, watching right now live, but then who also, you know, tune in later. So yes like Shelby part of that room 110 crew I graduated in 2013 but I had the amazing luxury of having mom for two years so you know Flip's hair you know I'm, I'm a two-year baby okay but no it's great I am currently you know just walking in the path of really just becoming and being the I am um, a motivational speaker. I actually leave later tonight to go to Miami because I did a competition here in Atlanta, one here in Atlanta over about out of about 700 people. And it's narrowed down to 150 people across the globe that they did the competition in. And so I'm leaving tonight to go to that. And, you know, 10 years removed from the class, it is still the lessons and the projects and the books and everything that we learned in that class that is now allowing me to really just step out on faith and go to schools and churches and community centers and family gatherings and really just preach being light. Um, and the importance of wisdom, the importance of being educated. And I get to do that, I think, for so long. I was nervous that talking, right, and building a community could really fund my life. And so I tried to do all of these other things and sports and entertainment. And those things have been fun for me, but I didn't feel fulfilled. Um, I did not feel like I was walking in purpose. And so now just getting to that point in my life where I want to walk boldly and fully in purpose. And it's it's here and, and I appreciate it and I love it. So that's just a little bit of what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm so proud of you okay. and, and that was such a very modest description of the work that you do yes thank you so I, we're going to come back to that because I, okay. I don't think you did justice um with the, for the work that you do all right now on to your significant other hey son <laughs> hey how you doing ma <laughs> my name is Masai um trying to think of y'all gave such great introductions I'm not I'm not sure. I, I really didn't know. Uh, wasn't planning on doing. Uh, mm. We're just glad you're here. You'll come up with it. You'll come up. Masai is brilliant. He's like yes. a, a resident genius. 
So sometimes, you know, when we have that that genius, sometimes there's a little bit of um, I don't know, like just just be you, right? You don't have to. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're here. We love you. We, this is a safe space. So, We're and I, listen, you know, you I ride hard for you. You know, I uh, ride hard for you. So. Uh, absolutely, it's not even that. I was just more so. Uh, not even trying to focus on myself, just uh, get back into the conversation. I was really into the conversation. I had questions and stuff, but my own. Okay. I, I'm not the one to put the spotlight on me like Look that. Look at him. I'm here, though. Look at him. Introduction, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to Smiths. Hi, thanks. We're glad to have y'all tonight. All right. Daddy, don't laugh. I am back. Okay, what's up? Uh, uh, the technology. That's your stuff, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's an interesting segue <laughs> into what I was about to say before my technology just clocked out on me. Um, but you know how it goes. I, I do this every day, so I'm used. I'm used to the temperamental nature of technology. But um, what I was going to do is my version of today in history from a technology perspective. You know, talk about what technology came into fruition um, this day years past so let's let's see what we found so i pulled something from this day in techhistory.com you know um and what we want what, what they what they're saying happened on december 13th 1962 was the launching of the relay one active repeater communication satellite um December 13th, 1962, NASA launches the active repeater communication satellite Relay 1 from Cape Canaveral. One of the earliest communication satellites to be launched, Relay 1's mission was primarily experimental, but nonetheless was used from some notable, for some notable events. On November 22nd, 1963, Relay 1 was the first satellite to broadcast television from the United States to Japan which happened to be the announcement of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It was, it was then used in August of night. It was, Oh, it was then used in August of 1964 to broadcast the 1964 summer Olympics from Japan to Europe and the United States, relaying the signal with another satellite, CINCOM three. It was the first, those were the first two satellites that were used in tandem for a television broadcast relay one was used until February 10th, 1965, when a problem with this power system caused the satellite to become non-functional. Interesting, interesting. That's huge news, though. Interesting. Relay 1 was launched on this day in 1962. Wow. That's why you hang with smart people. Because I never would have, I never would have, I never would have even. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Speaking about technology and then, you know, my technology failed me and then <laughs> talk about the technology that brought us right back together. Right. But back in the day on this day. So it's all right. Circle, I guess. Right. You know, but I yeah, wonder I, what black person invented it. I know. <laughs> That's what I, I want right? to know. Let's go look, let's go look yeah. that part up, too. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see what black woman invented that one. OK. So while he's looking that up, I want to talk to y'all. I'm so glad to see y'all. I'm so glad to see y'all. Y'all, y'all just don't know. Like I, I've been over here, kind of like moist around the eyelids. I'm so happy to see y'all. Tell me about what your experience was like in that classroom. And and Milani and Masai, Masai, you only had me for one year, right? For your just your senior year. 
Okay, so Milani, you're, you know, you got the most experience. And then just, just what was that like for y'all? I'm always fascinated to hear, like, from your perspective, what happened in that classroom space? Well, I can just say, I guess I'll start, but I will just say for me, you know, my experience, I don't know how everyone else came about the class, came into the classroom, but I remember you, I remember us meeting in the cafeteria and I was a junior, well, now I had to be a sophomore going into junior year and you were at the front kind of signing people up for AP. And at the time I was not an AP student and well, I had an AP I think I had an AP science class, but that was it. And I just remember, you know, the conversation, like, you should be an AP. And I'm like, no, not really. And I had all of these reasons why I did not want to be in the class. And you, you know, just kind of said, you know, well, you're making all of these like pre-assumptions about the class. You're thinking about the test, like you've never even experienced it. But if I were you, I would give it a try. You know, a lot of your peers are already signed up. You know, you're you're the one. And so I will say my experience was that I was really sought after for the AP course, which was which became a, a continuous divine lesson just in my life of just how, you know, God just seeks me out. Right. And so coming into the class, I, I definitely thought on my first day, I knew on the first day of being in there, my junior year, that it was going to be different because out of the 11 years that I had been in school, you were the first teacher on the first day when we were leaving your class to tell us that you loved us. And I just thought that was weird because I'm just like, teachers don't love their students so what is this like she crazy and your desk was at the back of the classroom and I remember you know just as the as we you know began to learn different things you know you just would always tell us like I'm the minority in the classroom how dare I you know stand before you you know and teach but not even that I'm the minority but that you know iron sharpens iron so you're some days you will be the teacher and I will be the student and some days I will be the teacher educator and you all will be the students and so you know the experience in the class was was transformative and I have to use that word for the classroom because when I think of anything transforming it it has new nature it has new eyes everything about it changes and that is exactly what happened you know in my life spiritually mentally physically I just became a brand new person within a matter of two years. I became, if I was a rebel before, I was an activist. <laughs> Let me just say that. And my level, my level of compassion and love and vulnerability just skyrocketed because of everything that I was learning. So I got loved, I received love, and I was able to develop a a healthy mindset that would just transform me and then that would stick with me for the rest of my life so I I I enjoyed the class and the class was so I'll say this last thing the class was so beneficial that I remember senior year you telling us like look when y'all leave this classroom it ain't gonna be another one of this you're going to have to either A, find it amongst yourselves, or you're going to have to dig deep to remember the things in this classroom that you learned. And I did. I mean, there, I literally got to college my freshman year in Virginia, and there were just some days that I just, I cried because I was like, I need room 110. And so I literally had to dig deep 
you know, within myself and remember those lessons. And then I had to remember to build that same kind of similar community around me of, you know, believers and like-minded people and people that would feed into me because it was truly just life-changing. And, and we were, we, we held each other accountable and we were a big family in there. So it was important. All right. So <laughs> for me, the classroom, uh, it was it was one of a kind. It was a super unique experience. And just thinking back on it now, I'm just amazed how uh, Mrs. Dunlap was able to do that. Yeah. Uh, being that we were in public school, you know, but granted, it was an AP class, so it was advanced. And that's where we had our wiggle room to say, well, we're learning about this and we're learning about that. Um, she always, it was never like, if I showed up without my homework, it was an alternative to it. Like, it wasn't like, oh, zero, you failed. Like, she wasn't trying to, you got those teachers that's trying to fail you, that's trying to zero you out the game. And you just like, you know, like, it's different learning styles. So she, she would always have an alternative solution if the, if what she was presenting up front wasn't, wasn't clicking for you. So she will adjust her learning style. Um, eye opening. Uh, you got to see the human side of everybody. Yeah. Them kids learned how to be vulnerable. Like you, you learned like these these life lessons that's not taught in school, that's not a part of the curriculum, but that makes you a better human being. And uh, learning compassion for sure compassion for everybody you know like and 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 love for yourself as well and searching for our own history even though you know the majority of it has been hidden from us so to speak thank you masai and you guys um your class was so special to me because i held on as long as i could and i said when y'all are done i'm done like it was, and I was so just blessed to be able to call your names at graduation. So that was like the icing on the cake for us, you know, that you guys, yeah. Shelby Pooh, uh, ready? Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely agree with Melania when I say that the class was transformative. For me, I feel like room 110 challenged me to look at how I learn about things, right? There's a very strict way in how the system and how the government uh, controls how students learn right in school, right? Um, and I think that's why there was also like this aura of like rebel-ish, like around Miss, Miss, no, for real. And I remember like everybody being like up in arms when she came into my mind because she was like completely automatically from the jump trying to do things differently and people don't like different right and I just remember having all of this just buzz around this class and this new educator who came into the school and she definitely shook things up and I loved it and I think so much of us loved it and we needed it so badly and I think room 110 really taught me to step out of the book and into the world, step out of the theoretical and into the applied. And I don't think a lot of classes try to do that to the extent that Mrs. Dunlap 
did that. And I'll tell you what did it for me. I cannot remember for the life of me the name of that older white man who was like from Denmark or something that came. Jacob Holt. Woo! Yes, Shelby. Yeah. From Denmark. Yes. I have those pictures too. I was like, I was like, oh, she's about that life. Like, we gonna get in trouble. We gonna get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but like, we were so excited, and I think all of us left changed that day because just the, like I said, just stepping out of that theoretical and into that applied, having this man come in and share with us, you know, what he had done, and you know, Mrs. Dunlap connecting that to what we were learning. At the time in the class, it was just like, what educator does this? What, what teacher? Hold on now. What's going on? Who is she? You know, and it was just, and I think that did it for me. I was like, look, let me sit up and pay attention and all the things because I'm about to be blessed with some knowledge that I probably will not get again. Like this, this this woman is really trying to push the boundaries of who we are and how we think about the world and not confine us to what the system puts in a book and says that we're supposed to learn, you know, and it just, it just broadened my horizon so much. And then I agree. I agree with the Smiths when, um, <laughs> I agree with the Smiths when I uh, definitely piggyback and say that, you know, it was, you know, of course about the knowledge and of course about learning, but just feeling the very organic sense that this teacher cared about you, you know, as a person and about your development and looking out for you, you know, outside of the classroom. Um, it was just to an extent I had just never really experienced before. And you know, you have those questions that come up when you're creating passwords for work and they're like, what's your security question? Who was your favorite teacher? Like, we all know what it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? That's my answer to that question. You know what I'm saying? Give me my password. It's Mrs. Dunlap. Um, and so it's just... Such a blessing, y'all. Like, <laughs> And it's very true. Like, this is real. Like, I'm being, like, really, really honest right now. Um, it was... It was a blessing. You were a blessing. You are a blessing. And I think we were just all changed for the better, honestly. Um, if he wasn't part of Room 110, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Guess you missed that one. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it was great. And I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll be 89 and I'll still remember. Y'all, that is such a blessing. And I want to, I put, um, for those of you who are uh, watching the live on Facebook, I put the name of the Danish artist that came to see us. His name is Jacob Holt. And he came twice. I put the the website link for his um, photo documentary. So listen, um, we just had faith back then, right? We, We just believed like collectively that anything was possible inside that classroom. And I remember one day just you know we would have like a thousand tabs open on the computer and we would constantly be like looking for stuff right like I would have them on my computer they would have it on their computer and one day I stumbled across Jacob Holt's stuff and so I said y'all look at this and we were looking at it 
and I said, do y'all want to meet this man? And we had, we didn't know him from anybody, right? We didn't know him from anybody. And they were like, yeah. So I sent him an email and I just said like, hey, I just wanted you to know that, you know, I'm a teacher and I told him where we were. And I said, I have a room full of young black geniuses watching your work. And I said, if you're ever in our area, we would love to meet with you. Okay, we sent it. About like two hours later, this man wrote back and was like, oh my God, I cannot believe, like you're where? And you teach what? And you're, and you're looking at my stuff? And he said, my daughter is coming to the States for college and I'm gonna be dropping her off. And he said, she's going to UNC in Chapel Hill and I will drive to Atlanta to meet you and your students when I, when I come to the States. He came to see us and he spent the day with us talking about his work. And then the following year, he reached out to me and said, hey, I saw you and your students last year. I'm coming back to Atlanta and I'm going to meet with some of my old colleagues who are also activists. Can we come visit your kids? So we saw him twice. And I'm just like, I mean, y'all, there was literally so many miracles that took place in that space. And I know that um, when I share you know, that journey with people, sometimes they're like, yeah, she's making it up. Or like, no, nah, it couldn't have been all that. Like, or those kids couldn't have done all that. Or you can't be, you can't be that kind of teacher. Like people really think I'm making this stuff up when I talk about y'all. But um, it was really God. It was like a lot of, a lot of belief, a lot of intentionality. And it was just really a testimony to what can happen when you have people on one accord, right? Like when you have people who don't have any, fears like y'all we were fearless there were things that tried to, to cause us fear and cause us harm but um yeah it was just amazing and I remember um Milani your class saw um James DeWolf Perry he came and talked to y'all about American Pictures that was your group right so like you guys had another somebody famous come and talk to y'all so and Lupe Masai was just saying that, but I remember Y'all did go like, meet Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, we yeah. met him. We <laughs> did Twitter. Like, we blew up his Twitter. Like, yeah, it was just unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> when, I, when I tell people that I taught English using... <laughs> Dang, I did that. Yeah, that's amazing. And actually, I just saw something yesterday that says he's going to be teaching at MIT. So, um... I want to know, right? Like, so I think he's talking about the mathematical formulas behind his lyrics. So I'm just like, that's going to be dope. It might so. so ironic that you say that because when I saw it, I DM'd and messaged like, is the class going to be offered online? Because I'm like, it looks like an extra type of course. It, it looks like yeah. one of those courses where if you major in this and minor in this, you can take this as a side course. So I'm hoping that I can find it and maybe take it in the spring, like pay my little 200 dollars <laughs> to take to it. audit it, yeah. Yeah, because I'm just like, we did this, you know? And I remember him just responding to the feedback that we had. So it's, it's amazing. He, he should definitely do it. It's going to be a great course. MIT actually has a lot of open courses. So maybe reach out to him directly. Just remind him, like, I met you when I was in high school. You came to Clayton Riverdale, and I saw you at your signing, and I saw that you're teaching this class. And I know that MIT, offers, they offer a lot of open courses where you just go on YouTube and see the, you know, see the teachers doing their thing. See if he'd be willing to do it. Again, intentionality, 
have no fear and just believe that you are worthy of everything that you're asking for. That's it right there. Okay. And I just, that whole sentence and I just, that just sparked something. My senior year of college. So my like first year of college were like really rough. I had just lost my last parent, all of that stuff. So I was just like doing the bare minimum, like just trying to, I still did well, but I was doing the bare minimum of what I knew I could do more. And so like when I got into my last like two years of college and especially my senior year, I called it my like shoot my shot year. I was like, okay, whatever it is that come up, apply for it. Whatever it is, like just do it. And I like ended up like being like the commencement speaker at graduation. I, I saw that like, girl when I saw that. I was like, cried. <laughs> when oh I tell gosh. you stuff, and I said, no way. I said, no way they're gonna. I said, ain't no way. My like, baby graduated from the University <laughs> of Miami. Right, went down there. Your your mother died in ninth grade. Your dad mm-hmm. passed away like what the day before baccalaureate or the morning of baccalaureate? The day before graduation. Mm-hmm. Went to Clayton, went from Clayton County to University of Miami and ended up giving the commencement speech. When I saw that, when I saw you on the stage with your cap and listen. <laughs> Look, me too. Me too. I was like, but I just was like, it was my year of like no fear. Yeah. I was like, there's nothing worse that can happen to you, girl. Like you might as well just do it. And so I was like, we have this like thing at school that was called like senior spotlight and you would like win like the super expensive like GoPro. And I always wanted a GoPro because I was going to do marine biology and stuff. I applied for that, got that. There, I was like, maybe they'll, maybe they want me to be the commencement speaker. So I threw my name in the hat, got that. so much and like you know one of the things that I that I want to say because I know like when we talk about you guys experiences in the classroom we tend to talk about them in ways that make it seem like you know like all magical but there was so much adversity that y'all had to overcome right whether it was from your from you know people saying that y'all were brainwashed and like it was just all kind of stuff like just all kinds of stuff um so you guys learn how to fight for yourselves 
and you learned how to stand up for yourself. Um, how has that lesson translated to you in your adult life? I'm gonna let you go, Melani, and and uh, significant. <laughs> I had it. Um, I was gonna say it just it just helped shape uh the kind of person that I was gonna be. Like I mm. I really didn't care about school growing up. I could always make the good grades and stuff, but it was just like an easy blow by. But I, I fell in love with learning when I was in room 110. So I became a lifelong learner just because it was so many things that different subjects that we tapped on and it just opened so many more, so many other doors as well. But um, just just kind of piggybacking off of what Shelby said earlier, just uh, thinking about things in an untraditional way. Mm -hmm. um, because we know that the system is set up for us once in a, in a specific way and that the information that they give us access to is usually not uh, beneficial to us. We have to, you know, search for just because it's a whole trick and to them try to get you to play into their system pretty much, but you become a, a independent thinker or a good critical thinker enough to where you're able to still figure out the game for yourself mm -hmm. and, and see things from a bird's eye view and not just uh, be a pawn on a chessboard. I, I think for me, you know, you taught me the a quote. I don't know whose quote it is, but it's that um, everything that's right is not righteous, but everything that is righteous is right. Mm -hmm. And so when I would go to battle or when there was something that I felt like was going on in my life, whether it be at work and relationships, you know, personal, whatever it was, that was the foundation that I stood on before my attack or before my plan or, or how I prepared, because I was, I, I remember, I mean, even with, so for me, I always ask people like, when did you realize you were black or what was that thing in high school that really changed your life or what happened and what was that moment in time? And for me, it was, you know, losing Trayvon Martin. And I just remember at the time, at that time, I had just, you know, we, we were, I was in your class, you know, for, for almost a year. It was my first year as a junior year class, it was 2012. My class was the first class at Mount Zion to literally have four different principals all four years of high school. And, you know, that 2012 year was just interesting within itself. That is the year that we were called. We are even beyond us being brainwashed. People were calling us a cult. They sure did. So that was so hurtful. It was, yeah. You know, they were calling us a cult. They were upset that, you know, we were starting to educate other students that were not in your class. Mm -hmm. And I remember there would be things that the principal or that teachers would try to do and we had read upon the handbook, like this did the handbook. And they, there was just so many little battles and so many big battles that I had, that we together had to endure as, as a, 
as a unit, like room 110, because in 2012, you know, Shelby and those classes there, our classes there. So we're enduring these things as a unit. And I literally just took the same tools that we had using those in the real world as a young adult. Because the the strategy and the method and the intellect, the wisdom or whatever that we use in the classroom was no different, you know, than my young adult life. It's just that I'm older now. And so for me, like I said, but I always started with anything that if I'm doing the work in righteousness, right? If I'm doing the work in righteousness, if I'm doing the work, knowing that it's going to affect not just myself, but the other people around me for the greater good, this fight is worth that battle. And I really learned that from you, Ma. Like I learned that you were willing to really go, you were really willing to aim higher and higher each day for us because you knew like no like these are the kids that's going to be the you know that they're going to be creating the laws that are going to be the you know controlling the market that are going to be you know financially free like all of these things and when we saw you take that stand as an adult as our big sister as our mother as a grandparent you know as whatever it was for us when we saw you do that it became much more apparent it became much more easier for us to do that ourselves and we can now mirror that same reflection as young adults because we are not kids now so that 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 is exactly what that is thank you I think in the class for me you became a living embodiment of grit and there's this really really various TED talk that I love that talks about grit and I think she like defines it as like passion and perseverance for really long-term goals or something like that and to see you sort of like Melania was saying like take a stand and, and be this just powerful example for us pushing through everything that was coming and I you know we was gone with the cult stuff I don't was that around my year I don't even know um <laughs> I don't even know I remember that but, I mean, I knew people definitely looked at us very funny when we were, like, in the halls and stuff, and some of the other teachers um, would almost be like, oh, you're in this hilarious class. I'd be like, like uh, okay. But um, for me, you were just this amazing, like, living embodiment of, like, grit. And I don't even think I really knew what grit was at the time, but I knew there was this this woman who was going the distance to teach us with all this stuff coming at her anyway like finding a way finding a way finding a way and so like taking that into adulthood that there is always a way right and you know it's just like are you willing to go the distance are you willing to put in the work um and so many amazing things came out of room 110 because you put in the work for us and so just wanting to like carry that into you know adulthood um for my, obviously my own goals and dreams, um, or even if I'm trying to help someone else or help folks in my family, whatever, just like remembering like grit, like keeping grit like in my pocket to just like, you know, go the distance when it's worth it to go the distance. And we were worth it for you to go the distance. And I think that was just a first example of that before I even really knew what grit was. Um, yeah. I'm so humble. <laughs> yeah. I, Dunlap, can you take over? Like, well, you know, 
Um, so just listening and kind of observing what everybody's saying, you know, the 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 theme that I'm hearing underlying everything is just this that that simple notion of love. One thing I've learned in 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 my in my life is that when you move in the space of love, it's it's interesting what moves with you. It's interesting how because we're always taught that negativity is the thing that that negativity spreads so easily but love spreads just as easily as well it's just you got to look for it in the right place and you know and when you combine you know because when you when you do things in in love especially when you're involving another person it doesn't even this is not even romantic love this is just love as a general concept you open up the space you you enable things to happen you enable people to grow you enable yourself to grow because you're not moving in fear love expands fear contracts and when you combine love with authenticity and then the authenticity with purpose you know you cuz i'm i'm listening to what you all are telling me you you have you, you on the one hand you have this room full of love and then you have this really authentic perspective in terms of what is seen in the world and what needs to happen. And then you combine that with a purpose that not only, you know, Shakima saw herself as your instructor, but she also saw that you are being a conduit of that person, that purpose. You are being, you know, a part of that, you know, and when you when you combine all of those three things together to other people on the outside, it looks like cult like behavior. Because those are three things that you can't get everywhere. So you don't find love mixed with authenticity, mixed with purpose all the time. But when you do, things happen. Movements happen. Though This is where movements are based off of, is those three basic principles. You know, you enable, you have a real, you have a real place where you're coming from and you have a direct goal that you're aiming towards and you have purpose, you have a, a, um, you have a reason behind, you have a why behind your why. You have your your core belief system. And when you are vulnerable to people and when you are willing to show that to others, it gives them permission to do the same. And when you have a bunch of people all doing the same thing, what do you have? You have what you call a movement. You, have, you get called things like cult-like. You get called, you know, you get all of these stigmas put on you. Because they think you're doing something magic or something out of the ordinary when it's really not that complex. If you're real with it, if your heart is open and if you move with purpose and intent, like the, I heard intentionality come up, you know, um, I think intentionality and purpose, are, you know, they can be one and the same, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, purpose is a state of being. I think intent, intent, intentionality is purpose and action. And when you are, when you're, when you have your purpose and you're moving in that purpose every single day, you know, it, it, again, it enables others to do the same, you know, when you're not hoarding your information, but you're giving information when you're offering people more, when you're offering, especially young folks, when you're offering young people more information, because I remember growing, when I was in school, I didn't have anybody willing to teach me anything that was outside of a book. You know, it was very, I, I may have one or two teachers that taught me anything outside of what was in that textbook. And it wasn't a whole lot of love in that classroom. It was, it was either you got it or you didn't. You either graduate or you didn't, you know. And, you know, and 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 and, and, I, and that's not to say that I didn't have, I, 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 has, I have a favorite teacher in my, in my high school career. And um, he was the first person that ever really told me that I could do something. 
and he was the first one of the first people that celebrated the success for me. Slapped me on my back and said, boy, I told you you could do it. And he was also one of my only male teachers. And he know if he's watching, he knows who he is. I ain't going to put him on blast. But anybody that graduated with me, anybody that graduated in my class, I'm pretty sure y'all know who I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, I was I was abysmally failing the class. I'm a math guy and I was failing geometry. And and he was like, no, nah, I'm going to give you a chance, man. I'm not because I didn't. Edit, I'm like, eh, it's just, everybody else said it was hard. So I'm I'm, I'm just going, you know, I'm, I'm a moron. I'm a kid. Right. And he gave me every opportunity I couldn't. I'm one of those people that if you give me opportunity, I'm going to take it. And of course, I took it. And I was able to really, really turn things around. And he was one of the first people, you know, particularly outside of the family, outside of my mom, that actually said, I, I see, I told you. I told you you can do it. And that changed my whole trajectory on how I saw myself, you know. Um, so it's amazing that how just a little bit of love, you know, it enables you to become. You know, when when people hoard information from you and nah, I'm not going to tell you this because you might become dangerous to me. You might become a threat. And that's people acting out of fear. And so what I'm hearing and what I've heard is that that love was palpable. When that love was mixed with intention, that intention was met with authenticity. So you knew you were dealing with a real person. This person wasn't coming just with fluff. This person really was who they said they were. You know, and 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 would you know draw down if you know if push came to shove. You know, you knew who to mess with, you knew who not to. You know, and and when like I said, when you combine those things together, you come up. You not only do you come up with a dynamite combination, but you create a movement. You you inspire people to do more than they ever aspire to. And so, um, and so that that's that's what I've heard. That's been the common thread that I've been listening to and seeing woven into the story of you know of of you all's experience together and just looking at the doors that was able to open. Because again, you move in love. When you yeah. move in love, genuine people who move in love themselves also do the same. You know, I'll say this about, you know, uh, 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 MC, I, I highly regard and respect Lupe as an MC and as a and as an individual. And, you know, for someone to get to that level to where they're offering the mathematics of what they do as a craft. I'm an I'm, a, I'm an MC myself and I know what it goes, what goes into uh, into perfecting that craft. And it's not too many people that's willing to share that secret, but because he knows that somebody else has a message out there. And if he can help that person towards that message, how they say that message, or how they can put it to the, to get the right people to listen, I have to I have to salute him because I'm like, hey, as a as a fellow MC, I I tilt my hat. You you giving your secrets, and to be able to share that with the world is is something else. And I think that comes from a, a tremendous place of love to be able to share. So I'll, I'll say that, and I get off my soapbox. Uh-uh, because I because <laughs> I want you to uh, can you share one year um since we on here share one of your creations oh no i'm <laughs> no 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 i did say I, not the secret song not, not like, this time not this time I'm not, okay i'm not saying never i'm not i'm saying this you, y'all time. should I got hear some, his I got, some, I, I got some ideas on that uh for some okay. maybe some future some 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 future right. sit, future conversations you know all right 
Now I'm not I'm not ready. Yeah, I got some things I want to do that I'm not ready to be released to the public yet. So uh, you're so messy. Okay. We'll be waiting. We'll be waiting. <laughs> All right, now, now that I know that I, now I know I got your attention. Yeah. <laughs> you're so silly. I, I get the shrimp on the Barbie. Y'all, this yeah. has been so good for me. And before I go, um, Hold I on, just Mom, want to... I wanted to say something really quick. What you got, son? I was just thinking back, like, I remember us being in class after school closed, like, we would just stay around, and we would kick it, and that was just so unusual, but you just created, you know, that safe space that, um, just, just a space where everybody could come to, you feel me? Like, even they would send the baddest kids to your classroom, and they, you feel me, they'd just be chilling when they in there, they'd be learning something, you know, like, I, that, I remember that happening so many times and it's just because the overall work which you was doing like words can't put it into description of, of the power that you really that that you really had in there and like what you was the power of your teaching yeah and just like yeah and I would just say you know dad I I appreciate you so much because one of the things that I know me personally from my relationship with Ma was because she was just so authentic. She was so pure. And my my frustration oftentimes in school, I could do any work. If you wanted me to be stupid, I would play stupid in the class. If you wanted me to be smart, I was gonna play to, I was gonna play up to whatever the expectation of the teacher was, right? And one of the things that really just drew me unto her was because she was not a liar. Like if she came home or if she came to class, and something wasn't right at home, she let us know, like, listen, today, one of y'all gonna teach today because of X, Y, and Z, or today, you know, I, I remember my going through, you know, one of her divorces. I remember, you know, her, you know, just being sick some days. I re like all of these things, like she just didn't fake it with us. It wasn't like, I'm a teacher and I'm perfect. You know, she was just so real and it, it helped me to become a, a woman of truth because I felt like, okay, here's a woman, she has kids, she's not married anymore, but she's looking for the love of her life. And I wanted to say that I love you so much because when I first met you, you just poor, 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 dump, 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 dump. Like you were not afraid to tell us about, you know, your past relationship. You were not afraid to talk to me about your mom and your siblings or whoever it was. And it's so honorable. I know a lot of times we don't honor transparency and truth, but it is so honorable to see your testimony and hear your testimony and I just appreciate you for that dad because mom has been doing that is one of the things that I absolutely love about her but to now over the years to have get you know just gotten to know you and in an instant you like oh let me share something with you and I'm like okay he about to be like he about to go there and it's it's just great. So I, I I really love it. And that's a level of education and wisdom that you cannot teach. You just have to be it. And sure. I appreciate it. Wow, you showed up. You showed up every day through all that. Like yep. you showed up. You didn't, you wasn't just calling out, you know, like you you was there as well. And you were still in that environment, even on the days when you gave us the microphone to teach the class or you know. And um, I just wanted to touch back on the subject real quick because Milani does have to catch a flight. But um, as far as 
going back to that day in history you was talking about where they locked up this multiracial family um and it's still going on today and uh you you see that uh they don't want to allow the people at the bottom of the border and the conversation is build that wall they don't want brown people coming in but the talk on immigration is always about the brown people the 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 Caucasians have no problem flying in internationally, moving in over here, bringing their businesses over here. It's never a conversation about they're trying to take our jobs, only when it's, you know, brown people. And it's just a distraction as well. But it, it, it's the control thing, right? So it's still like they don't want this, this black man and this white woman because, you know, like that's 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 the end to their race, and and that's why and that's why the fight is that deep, and that's why it was going on two hundred years ago, and it's still going on today because scientifically the world has to brown. That's yeah. that's the only that's the only outcome that that as we mix and as we grow as a race, and this love overcomes all that racism. Yeah, the world is going to brown. And, and and you know like they're going to lose their their dominant foothold as the majority and all that. I find it so funny that every time I check, we're only thirteen percent of the population. Like we never moved off that mark. So it just makes me think that maybe they're not telling the truth about that as well, because the world is going to brown. You know. Yeah. Well, and I think that the secret behind those numbers is that they give so many people the opportunity to self-identify. So when given a choice, a lot of people don't identify as black, right? Like, so just think about people who, like, you could be a black person, but if you're not, like, if you come over from certain countries in Africa, you can self-identify as white, and that keeps the numbers growing, right? Or like you have people who are biracial who don't identify as black. And so as we brown, then blackness is not the default. Does that make sense? Like, people get to decide how they want to be described how they self-identify and so that number may stay around 13 percent because as people get a choice they don't choose black you know so that I think that has something to do with it and again you know numbers don't lie but the people behind the numbers tell lies all day so that's that's the truth right like the numbers don't but the people do and data can absolutely be manipulated so I'm glad that um I'm glad that you brought that up so y'all we're at the close of tonight and I know y'all I'm, I'm gonna have y'all back on for something else I just gotta but I this was so good for my heart y'all like I'm so glad that I was able to close out 2022 like this with my babies and with my boo look at him I love him y'all I love that man so let me tell y'all a funny story before we close um and so, like, before I tell my funny story, I just want to say that uh, check out our loctician, Sherry Walker. And if you're in the Austin and Houston area, she does all natural hair care. Her, um, she's Prissy Styles Natural Hair Care. You can reach her at 346-203-6422. That's Prissy Styles Natural Hair Care, 346-203-6422. And you can find her on Facebook or IG at Prissy Styles Natural Hair and Braids. And I'm going to put that in the comments if you're watching the Facebook live stream. Thank you for hooking us up, Sherry. You know, we, we got different hair. So like getting this stuff to lay down is just, she do miracles on this head. And you look good. Thank you. Thank you. you so shout out to Sherry. Yeah, Sherry's so, awesome. 
funny story. So uh, Daddy Dunlap took me to his gym Christmas party. Y'all know I was the fattest thing in there, right? So everybody was, they was like, when you gonna come back? And they was looking at me like, is it fat girl fault? Is it fat girl fault? You can't come back to the gym. So shout out to Coach Randy and his wife, Tessa, for celebrating 10 years at Austin Kickboxing. Coach D and Mrs. D, we love y'all. We're proud of y'all. Dunlap, you want to close us out for tonight? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Ah, that's easy. Well, I want to thank everybody that took some time tonight to listen to us, to, to, to engage in this conversation. We love doing this. This is this is an absolute joy for us to do every Tuesday. I want to thank our guests for um for being for for showing up, being on time, showing up early so we can kind of chop it up and get it organized yeah. before we jump into this thing. I want to thank my lovely, beautiful, excellent wife who brings it every single day. Thank you, baby, for doing this life with me. And again, thank you, everybody who tuned in. Thank you to our esteemed guests. We thank you all for your time. Um, catch us the next. Uh, are we broadcasting next week or are we taking yes, next week? Yes, we are. Off? So all next right. week, we're talking to teachers. We're talking to for, we're actually former teachers who quit teaching, right? And we're going to talk about like what that was about. And we're also looking at teachers who are still in the profession, but they're ready to go. All right. It's gonna be, that should be some good conversation. Mm -hmm. Good conversation. So tune in. Check us out. Let's see what's going on. Put your ear to the street. Get in it with us with Dunlaps. Yeah. Next Thank Tuesday, you, everybody. 6 p.m. Central. I'm Shakima. I'm Deontay. And we're the Dunlaps. Dunlaps. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, have a good one. Thank y'all. Have a good night. Peace out.